they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers. <laughs> Tuesday afternoon. <laughs> Praise God. I hope you enjoyed Gary Machuda and the Terry and Jesse show. I sure had fun with Gary, Mom. I bet fun. you did. Yeah. yeah. So what do we got going today? Well, we have uh, the Gospel of Matthew here, the reading for the day. Yep. We're in the 17th week in Ordinary Time. Okay. And the reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 13, mm-hmm. verses 36 through 43. Jesus dismissed the crowds and went into the house. His disciples approached him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He said in reply, He who sows good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, the good seed the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. Mm. Just as weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will collect out of his kingdom all who cause others to sin and all evildoers. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where they will be wailing and grinding of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. Whoever has ears ought to hear the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So we ask the Holy Spirit for light and the angels for light here. And we look at this reading and essentially Jesus is giving a description of of the end, the the second judgment, the final judgment, the general judgment. We have when we die, all of us will be judged. Yep. Okay, that's called a particular judgment. And in that judgment, it will be made known whether we're going to heaven or hell. What have we chosen with our life? Mm -hmm. Okay, Um, this isn't predestination. When Jesus talks about um, the good seed is the, the children of the of the kingdom and the kingdom of the of the Lord and the the evil the bad the weeds are the 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 children of the devil. Any one of us can be weeds or wheat. Anyone, and anyone who appears to be weeds today could be wheat tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And anyone who appears to be wheat today could be weeds tomorrow. Remember in the Old Testament when when Jesus said, "You say my ways are unfair." Is it not your ways that are unfair? If the, if the sinner turns away from his sin and does good deeds, shouldn't he be rewarded for that? Shouldn't he give, you know, mm-hmm. be blessed? And if the righteous man turns away from the goodness that he's been doing to do evil, shouldn't he be punished for that? And we, real, we realize and recognize that it's interesting. We, we saw an interview recently between um, Dennis Prager and Jordan Peterson. That's right. And Dr. Peterson made a very interesting analogy, which is, if you read the lives of the saints, this is in all of them. This is what they came to realize. He, he talks about the wickedness, the, the evil that is within man, and the depth of depravity to which man can sink. And he said, you know, until I realize personally that I could be that person who sinks to the depth of depravity, I really don't know myself yet. And that's what the saints, you see, the saints didn't rely on themselves. They relied totally on God. They understood that they had been redeemed, but they also understood that they still had the capacity within them for great sin. Padre Pio, who experienced the wounds of Christ for 50 years, he was always in terror of the possibility of falling into mortal sin. He realized that in a moment of weakness, he could turn away from God. So we beg God daily to keep us from sinning. That's, That's the weeds. When we turn away from God and choose any created good over God, we're the weeds. We're becoming enemies of God because we've turned away from him. So we want to weed all sin out of our life. By the way, don't compromise with sin. Yeah, No number of venial sins can ever equal a mortal sin. That's true. But you know what? Any sin weakens the will and darkens the intellect. And the more sins we commit... Venial sins, and if we're compromising with venial sin, it becomes easier for us to commit a mortal sin. And I think also, Mary Danielle, that one of the ways to keep out of sin is constantly ask Jesus Christ for more faith each day. Because your faith will not grow unless you ask. Right. 
And so to, to be able to have the strength to deny yourself and to stay in the state of grace, right. you have to ask for stronger faith. Exactly. And, and part of the, you know, the, it, it, remember, man, that thou art dust, and unto dust yeah, thou shalt return. Uh-huh. Well, it, in the scripture it says, remember your last end and you will not sin. Oh, there you go. Remember that you will stand before God and answer for everything you did or didn't do. And in the end, God's not going to say, oh, well, it's all okay. I know you didn't really mean it. Mm-hmm. No, death doesn't change your will. You have to choose God now daily. And that's what making that act of faith every day is doing. Choosing God day by day. Lord, I want you. Yes, I'm inclined to sin. And don't get all, don't beat yourself up when you fall into sin. Don't beat yourself up when you make a mistake. You know, you people out there who are trying to overcome your habit of bad language, you know, four letter words. It's just, you know, you grew up as a truck driver, you grew up in the military, and the guys talk this way. And it was, well, it degrades you as a human person, it degrades everybody around you. You have an intellect, you know, rise above those four letter words. Find words that really do describe what it is that you're feeling or you're, you're experiencing. And, and don't use four-letter words because they, they're degrading and they drag us down. But if you fall, don't beat yourself up. Just turn to the Lord quietly and say, Lord, that's me without your grace. I'm not, I'm not relying on you enough. Maybe I'm relying too much on myself or I'm really not trying. I really am not at that point yet where I really, really, really want to give this up. You know, it's like an addiction. Addicts, until they hit rock bottom. And they know that there is nothing in them that's capable of turning away from this addiction. And they turn to God. Mm. You know, Alcoholics Anonymous says your higher power. But, well, the higher power in the universe is God. And and by the way, that God exists is not an article of faith. It's it's a self-evident truth. That's why God gave us an intellect and will, an intellect, so that we could come to know God, even through the created goods that he made. Mary, when I was reading this gospel, and you know, I shared with this you with you off the air, uh, talking about the soul and how the body dies, but the soul goes on for eternity. Right. And just that meditation. Then I thought, and I know I'm nobody knows can judge each soul, but Adolf Hitler came to my mind about he gave himself up to the devil, committed horrible crimes. You know, like Stalin, some of these guys that died objectively in such sinful actions that I thought about that. They live 50, 60 years and their soul lives on for eternity in hell. And I know that sometimes people say, well, you can't be talking about hell. You don't know. Hey, imperfect contrition can get us to heaven. I think it's a meditation that was very fruitful for me to think that Adolf Hitler, most likely his soul is suffering in hell for all eternity. And when the general judgment that you referred to earlier in the show, his body is reunited with his soul, that he's going to suffer in hell, body and soul. That really made me realize I got to get my act together. Right. And that's why the the scripture says, remember your last end. You see, yes, when we die, our bodies will return to the dust from which they came. Yep. And our soul will go before God to be judged. Right. Now, Adolf Hitler had consecrated himself to Satan, so you know God had mercy on his soul. He did something very awful, and as a matter of fact, an exorcist in Germany tried to exorcise him mm. uh, from a distance. Now, he couldn't get close to him, but, and it wasn't working. And so when someone gives themselves over to Satan, anyone who sins is a slave of sin, and no slave has a permanent place in his father's house. But, and so at the, at the particular judgment, yeah, our souls are judged. Mm-hmm. Our bodies are in the ground deteriorating. Yep. But then... At the general judgment, at the end of time, we will get our bodies back. Glorified. Glorified if we're going to heaven. If not, our bodies will be hideous Mm. and they will suffer pain. You will suffer physical pain for all eternity. And dare we hope that there's no one in hell? According to St. John Paul II, no, I dare not hope that because to do so is to negate the witness of scripture. Mm -hmm. St. John Paul II said, I do not dare to hope that there's no one in hell because that would negate the witness of scripture. So yes, hell is a very real possibility. But remember, it's not that our choice, you know, it's our choice. Do I want God? Then I need to tell God I want him. And when I find that, you know, yeah, God, I want you, but you know, I'm really attached to the things of this earth. All right, then tell God I want to want to want you more than I want the things of this earth. And tell him that every day. Persevere. It's like the Sunday's gospel, you know, that 
perseverance in prayer, perseverance in prayer, perseverance in prayer. Every day you get up. It's like the alcoholic who has to say, you know what? I need to get up today. I need to humble myself and say, I have an addiction and I can't touch alcohol. And if I do, it's, it's going to, it's going to be my master. So I renounce that master and I want Christ as my master. And if I fall, then I turn back to Christ and say, Jesus, I fell today. Clean me up and bring me back to you and give me the strength to start again. It's not about whether you fell. Are you willing to start again and to start again and to start again? And that's for most of us. That's what our life is. We're not going to miraculously sudden, suddenly overcome all of our faults and failures. You know, people are looking for the three days of darkness. You know, God's going to come and he's going to judge all the bad people and send them all to hell. Well, if God judges all the bad people, that's all of us people. So who's going to be left? So we need to humble ourselves before the Lord, acknowledge that I'm the one who could be doing those horrible crimes and those terrible sins against God mm-hmm. and against my fellow man. Remember, whatever you do to the least of your brothers, you did to me, Jesus Christ said. So the way we treat one another is the way we're treating Jesus. And so, yeah, the judgment is coming and it is real. And But we live in the world and we have to know that the world is also, besides us, besides God and his word, there, there's an enemy And that enemy rebelled against God in the beginning. He rejected God's plan from the beginning, the devil. Mm. And when angels do something, they can't change their mind. You know, this that stupid show, Supernatural, (laughs) that had, you know, Gabriel going bad in the, I don't know, was the fifth season or something. Uh, You know, angels can't go bad. Good angels can't go bad, and bad angels can't go good. Hey, when we come back, I want to ask you about an article from the Catholic Stand, why we can trust the Gospels as history. Fascinating question. Absolutely. You're listening to The Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Thank you for joining us. Get yourself another cup of coffee. Go ahead or eat. Make yourself comfortable. We'll be right back. This is Terry Barber reminding you there's a women's conference coming up September 7th, 2019 at the Sacred Heart Chapel. Mary Danielle Barber will be speaking along with Barbara Nicolosi. They're going to be talking about true femininity. Be who you are. This is going to be for your daughters, your mothers. Every woman should be at this conference. And the way to do it is go to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call 877-526-2151. or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites the Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow! That's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US-1. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back to the Bible with the Barbers. I threw a curveball to my wife. I said, honey, there's an article from the Catholic Stand saying why uh, we can trust the Gospels as history. And I've heard people say that, you know, 
eh, the Bible has errors and, you know, it's just like gone with the wind. You know, they're wrong. But Mary, can we discuss this? Why can we trust the gospel as a, you know, history? Well, and just, just on a human level, mm-hmm. okay, if you want to know whether or not you can trust a book, yeah. you look and see if you can verify what's in it by sources external to itself. Mm-hmm. Sure. So you, you, get, you have to look at the, first, the history of the first century Judaism mm-hmm. and is what's written in the Gospels, is that um, coherent? Is it, does it go along with? Does it fit? Or is there something that's obviously made up and fictional there? And when you do that, no, there's not, there's not, there's not a problem that it fits in. Um, it, it's actually what's interesting is Jesus's story. <laughs> you know, people act sometimes like the church and Christianity just kind of dropped out of heaven at some point without any warning. Well, in the Old Testament, the Messiah is foretold. Mm-hmm. He's prophesied. Bishop Sheen points this out: how many prophecies there are about Jesus Christ, and he fulfills every That's single right. one of them. So the Old Testament was a preparation for the coming of the Messiah. It wasn't an end in itself. It was pointing to something beyond itself. So first century Judaism, you had the prophecy in Daniel of the 70 weeks. The 70 weeks are up. The, the Jews all know the 70 weeks are up. The time of fulfillment has come. And so they're, they're looking for the Messiah. They're actually looking for the Messiah in first century Judaism, first century AD Judaism. And so Jesus comes and he claims to to be that fulfillment. And, and it's interesting. Okay, well, he could have been a charlatan, right? He could have been someone who, because there were, there were plenty of people who came to be claiming to be the Messiah, trying to get a following, trying to make money. Sure. Well, he, he wasn't trying to make money. He wasn't taking people's money. He wasn't um, living like a rich man. He wasn't demanding that people just um, look at him and serve him. He, he said, as a matter of fact, I came to serve and not to be served. And in the end, he surrenders himself to death. And so, well, maybe he was a madman. His family thought that, you know, he's out of his mind. Well, did he act like a madman? How do act mad, mad, madmen don't usually, their thought is not consistent. It's interesting. I, I know um, this Dr. Peterson that I mentioned, he likes Nietzsche. And I remember reading one of the books by Nietzsche. And I'm reading it and I'm thinking the, the thought is so contradictory mm-hmm. within itself. It contradicts itself. The thought of Christ doesn't contradict, contradict itself. And so, um, and then, and then, well, and why do I bring this up? Because Jesus claimed something for himself that nobody else had claimed. He claimed, for the first century Jew, it was very evident that he was claiming to be God, Mm -hmm. God incarnate. Now, remember, that was a huge, whoa. um, It's a blasphemy, wasn't it? That was a blasphemy. That was, to, to accept that was... No, there's no, God can't be man, and a man can't be God, and, and God is one. He, he's, he's father, he's not, he doesn't have a son, he's, you know, because in the Old Testament, of course, God had to insist that he was one because the Jews were surrounded by pagans who worshiped lots of gods. And if he had revealed himself as Trinity before the son came, then the people would have been confused, and they would have thought there were three gods. And believe me, the early church had to fight this. Yeah. You know, are there three gods? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, is there one God and three manifestations of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Is you know, is it just three ways of expressing God? No, they, they came up with, no, God is one. There is only one God, but in God there are three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are in relationship with one another. And all of creation was made to foretell, to, to expose to the world how God is within himself. The family, as a matter of fact, is the primary unit of society that God uses to show the world that he is a trinity of persons, that he's a community of love and life. And so you have that. And then what else? Well, there are a lot of people who claim that, oh, well, the, the Gospels are anonymous. There's nowhere in the Gospel of Matthew that says, I, Matthew, wrote down this Gospel, or I, Luke, wrote. No, there's not. But we have something called the manuscript evidence. Do you realize that if you go back to the manuscripts, mm-hmm. the ancient manuscripts of the Gospels, mm-hmm. the, the superscript up at the top of the page, yep. every one of them has either the Gospel according to or according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
There's not a single gospel that was anonymous Mm. of those four. Now, the apocryphal gospels that some people claim were just discovered in the 1800s, no, go back and read the Fathers of the Church. The Fathers of the Church talked about the infancy narrative of, of Thomas and the gospel of Judas and, and the gospel of Thomas. And th- these apocryphal gospels were all, by the way, anonymous, and they were um, considered forgeries. The early church rejected them, and early Christian fathers wrote against them as forgeries. But the four Gospels that we have, the four full Gospel, it's a single Gospel about the life of Jesus Christ, about what he did, what his mission was, and what he came to establish, his kingdom, which is the church on earth, but continues in heaven for all eternity. The Gospel according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're not anonymous. There was nothing anonymous about them. And the extra biblical evidence the early fathers of the church testified to the fact that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote these Gospels. And it's interesting because sometimes people, when they date the Gospels, eh, more modern scholars, especially in the 20th century, who actually reject the historicity of the Gospels and reject anything supernatural in the Gospels and say that was just made up and we can't believe that, those people like to date the Gospels after the fall of Jerusalem. But there's very strong internal evidence from the Gospel that all four of the parts of the gospel, the gospel according to Matthew, according to Mark, according to Luke, and according to John, were written before the fall of Jerusalem. Okay, so um, the gospels were written early on in the church. They were written while the apostles were still alive. They weren't written after the apostles all died. They were written during the life of the apostles. And Matthew was an apostle. He wrote the gospel that he wrote. And John was an apostle. He wrote the gospel that he wrote. Mark wrote the gospel that has been preached by Peter, and Luke wrote the gospel that has been preached by Paul. It seems to me the people who are trying to poo-poo the idea that the gospels are really written by uh, the people who are identified by, and that there are the inspired word of God, and that there's no error, it seems that those who are wanting to poo-poo that seem to uh, indicate in not only their lives, but their teaching that everything's up for grabs. Right. They, they, they don't, and, and this is, it's very clear, Rudolf Boltmann, yep. who was not Catholic, and who did get appointed by Hitler as the, Interesting. the head of the theology department at Nuremberg because of his book, The Demythalization of the Gospels. Mm-hmm. And essentially what he said in there is he said, well, you have to understand that anything in the Gospels that appears to be supernatural, we have to reject. That can't possibly be true because God can't possibly intervene in human history. Is that he can't? What has he done since the beginning? Who made human history? Who made humans? I want to interrupt you just to say Boltman has had an influence on a lot of Catholic theologians and scripture scholars because that's the very thing that we complain and we see many people saying, oh, um, that miracle of you know the Eucharist, of the bread, the multiplication of the bread, oh, that was the generosity of the people. Anything supernatural in the scripture, they even, those same people poo-poo the existence of angels, the existence of the devil, uh, good and evil. It just seems to me that you want to run when you hear people like that because they're they're trying to uh, make the the Bible just like any other book that there's uh, problems with it. And the difficulty is they're reducing the world to a, a materialistic world. And they have a materialistic worldview. The only thing that we can know and understand is the material world. What's interesting about that is the material world, as we know it, is passing away. It's degenerating. It's Mm -hmm. passing away. And the world, the supernatural world, is more real, philosophically speaking, Mm -hmm. than the material world. Because the material world had a beginning, and it will have an end. The supernatural world, God himself, had no beginning. He will have no end. Now, yes, he created angels. Okay, But that was outside of time. He didn't create time until he created man. And so we have this reality of, yes, God is real. And and it's it's a self-evident truth that you don't need faith to know that God is real. You can believe in the existence of God without having any faith. Socrates Hmm. told the Greeks that they were impious because they created gods that were more immoral than themselves so that they could justify their immoral living. And Socrates said, there is one God who is transcendent. And in order for us to know him, we have to live a life of virtue and we have to live a life of discipline and self-control. And then we will come to know him. And this was a pagan. 
So yeah, the, the, that God exists is a self-evident truth. We know it from the, the beauty and the goodness and the order and the, the, the harmony of the universe. You can't even have creation unless you have a creator. You can't have something existent unless there was someone who created it. As the Greeks would say you can't have motion unless you have an unmoved mover. You can't have a creation unless you have an uncreated creator. You can't have beauty unless you have uncreated beauty. Danielle, it seemed like the Greeks were heroic in trying to reach God's revelation on a human level. They really were. They really were. And that's, you know, that's one of the reasons why the, the basis of Western society is, is, you know, the Greek thought. And it's not. Everything they had wasn't correct. You know, many of them lived immoral lives and they wanted to justify it. So they created all these crazy gods who were doing all kinds of horrible immoral things. So as Socrates said, so you can justify your own immorality. But so we know... <laughs> We can know without faith that there is a supernatural world, and it's real. Yeah. And, but then we can ask for the gift of faith, because without the gift of faith, we can't know God as he exists in himself. Okay, We couldn't know that God had a son until his son became man and revealed that to us, and we need faith to know and understand that, and everything that Jesus revealed. That there are supernatural truths that we need faith to understand. But some, the basics that God exists, we don't need faith to know that. So, yeah, there are people who want to say oh, only the material world, only what exists, only what we can put in a microscope or under a microscope. Or, and which, by the way, even a physicist will tell you that's just, that's just totally denying the reality of the physical world that we know because there's so much in the physical world that we can't see and touch and put under a microscope. Yeah. You know, and I'm not a physicist, but I've heard physicists say this. You know, and so, um, yeah, there are, there are scholars who, and this, it's, it's interesting because it, you know, when the, when the Protestants revolted against the Catholic Church and rejected the authority of the Church, well then, if Scripture alone is your only um, basis of truth, the interesting thing about it is there are many passages in Scripture that are very difficult to understand. <laughs> and unless you have an authority to tell you what it means, you're going to misunderstand it. And besides which, Scripture never claims to be the only authority of, tr of truth. There's nothing in Scripture that claims that. Just a quick note, in the uh, Acts of the Apostles, the eunuch who ask that question on the carriage, you know, how can I inter how do I know what the Bible's meaning if someone's there not to interpret it for right. me? I, I don't remember the scripture verse, but it's in yeah. the Acts. Right? The Acts of the Apostles, Philip and the Ethiopian Philip. eunuch. Yep. Yep. And yeah, unless I have someone to explain it to me, how can I understand? So yeah, it, it, you know, and, and again, what's interesting is is things that got into the Gospels that you would think that if this were just made up and we're just trying to make a nice story to make us look really good, and we'll talk a little bit about that after the break. You're listening to The Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. We can say clarity with charity. Yes. If you need another cup of coffee, go for it. Tea, whatever your preference is, eat your coffee, go for it. Terry Barber reminding you, there's a women's conference coming up September 7th, 2019 at the Sacred Heart Chapel. Mary Danielle Barber will be speaking along with Barbara Nicolosi. They're going to be talking about true femininity, be who you are. This is going to be for your daughters, your mothers. Every woman should be at this conference. And the way to do it is go to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call 877-526-2151.
buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites the Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow, that's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US-1. This is Jesse Romero. You're listening to Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Back again, huh? Well, thank you, Jesse. <laughs> We're back again. So we have here the reality of, um, you know, if you're trying to make a good story to, to make everybody believe and you want to just hold yourself up as being the greatest and the best, right? You don't tell embarrassing things, no. right? Like uh, Peter telling Jesus, oh, no, Lord, you shouldn't have to suffer. And Jesus calling him adversary, Satan, get behind me, Satan. Satan means adversary. So, you know, or or Jesus himself coming to his hometown and his people, the people in the hometown rejecting him. As a matter of fact, wanting them to throw, wanting to throw him over the brow of the hill or or his relatives coming to take charge of him because they thought he was cuckoo, cuckoo, cuckoo. Mm -hmm. You know, why do they think he's cuckoo? Because he's not like other men. Because he's trying, he, he gives up all concern for himself in order to serve everybody else and to give to everybody else. And, and when people get to the point in their life where they start doing this, we're like, you got to take care of yourself. You got to, and it's like, no, there comes a point in the spiritual life where you have reached that point where you no longer are attached to the things of this world. Yeah. And your only desire is to spread the kingdom of God and you'll sacrifice your whole self for that. And, and we're all called to that, but in God's time and in God's way. So those things. And, um, you know, it's interesting. Is it history? Well, if you look at the beginning of Gospel of Luke, mm-hmm. and then you look at the way his... Now, Luke was a Greek, okay? And he writes the Gospel as it was preached by Paul. But read the beginning of his Gospel and the way he introduces his Gospel. Luke is writing what is, was considered at that time history. That was the way history was written. He sets his gospel in a specific time and specific place when specific events are going on. And it's a history, the way history was written in the, in that, in the world of that time. Mm. And so, yeah, it is considered historical. And what's interesting is we have the witness of the church. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John... Well, except John, died as martyrs for the faith. John, they tried to kill. <laughs> it, it didn't work. They boiled him in oil, and he didn't die. So he, he ended up dying in exile, but he had stood at the foot of the cross with our Lord. And so if it wasn't really solid history, why would these men have given their lives for it? Every single one of the apostles died as a martyr. Every one of the apostles that was faithful, Judas, of course, Iscariot, had hung himself. But um, the others, and, and Matthias, who replaced Judas, and with the exception of John, who they couldn't martyr, so they sent him into exile. He lived his martyrdom. They all died as, as a witness mm. they, to this, the, the history, the true history of this, that this really happened at a specific time and place. And, and it's very rooted in this, you know, even John's gospel, whom some scholars like to say is so ephemeral and way up there in the air and so high above. And it's like, you know, John is contrasting light and darkness, life and death, fire and water. Mm-hmm. He, he's, his, his language is very rooted in earth. And he gives you these little details, you know, about <clears throat> like at the Last Supper when Judas goes out and Judas went out and it was night. And it's like, well, yeah, you met in the evening for the dinner. He went out, it's night. Why did you say that? Well, for one, because yes, it's night. That's the, the, the first, um, in any scripture passage, the first interpretation is the literal historical sense mm. of the passage. Good principle. It's rooted in history. This is real history that can be verified. You know, Josephus wrote about Jesus Christ. The Roman authors wrote about Jesus Christ and who he was and what happened to him. Mm. You can read this. He wasn't, it wasn't make-believe. This is, this is all really, really true. Historical fact. It's historical fact. And so, yes, we can rely on the witness of the Gospels. They really do teach us who Jesus was. We don't need to go looking for some Christ of history, some ephemeral Christ of history. 
or, or try and figure out from the Gospels, well, which stories were true or weren't. No, they're, they're all true. And, and how do we know this? The authority. We have the authority of the church. Read the Second Vatican Council II document, Dei Verbum. It says that the church unhesitatingly affirms the historicity of the fourfold gospel, according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The church herself affirms this. And why? She has the witness of martyrs. She has the witness of 2,000 years of the saints and the, the writings of the saints that testify to the truth of the gospel. You know, was it Frank Sheed who said, uh, it's not that Christianity's been tried and failed. It's never been tried. Now, it has been tried. It's been tried by the, it's like that Jordan Peterson is looking for, he's looking for that Christianity. He's, and by the way, he did say, for those of you out there who are Jordan Peterson fans, he said that the, the closest to sanity you can get, the closest to sanity yeah. you can get in this world is Catholicism. I thought that was great. So if you want to be sane, <laughs> become a Catholic. <laughs> but, but, the, but the reality is, is, yes, the gospel has been tried. Jordan Peterson kind of, he, he kind of you know, indicates man is so evil that you know, it, it's a miracle that we can sit in a room and not tear each other apart. But, but the reality is the gospel has been tried by thousands of people. And in every day and age, God raises up saints. And by the way, we all need to ask God to raise us up to be those saints for our day. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, St. John Paul II, Charles de Foucault, St. Maximilian Kolbe, St. Teresa Benedicta of the Holy Cross. St. John Paul II canonized over 500 people in his pontificate and wow. beatified even more. These people are saints. These people are people who live the gospel to the full. Do you want to witness to what it means to be a Christian? The saints. And that's what the history of the gospels, if it weren't historical, if Jesus Christ weren't real, yeah. then how did the church survive for 2,000 years? Read G.K. Chesterton's Everlasting Man if you want just an intellectual take on logical, on the logical, what is the logical take on this? give you the story that you always tell about a gentleman that went to Rome as a non-Catholic. He was thinking about becoming Catholic. Can you tell that story? That just shows. <laughs> he's from France, right? And he's thinking about becoming Catholic. And, and he, tells, he tells the bishop, well, I'm going to go visit Rome, and then I'll come back, oh, and I'll be no. baptized. And he's like, no, 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 let me baptize you before you go to Rome. No, 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 no. I'll get baptized when I come back. Don't worry about it. And he goes to Rome, and, and then he comes back, and he knocks on the bishop. He says, okay, I'm ready to be baptized. And the bishop falls over, and they pick him up off the floor. And <laughs> he says, you've been to Rome, and you still want to be Catholic? And he said, look, anything that corrupt that's lasted this long, it's got to be from God, you know, and it's, it's true. I mean, the, Jesus Christ came, he doesn't, just like in the gospel today, he doesn't take the sinners out. He doesn't just come and destroy them. He lets them grow because he wants them to be converted. So he gives us the opportunity to change. Every day he gives us a new opportunity. Every day that we wake up and we're breathing, he's given us a new opportunity to change. And by the way, suffering is a good thing. Mm. Because Jesus Christ has redeemed its meaning. That doesn't mean you have to look for it. But when it comes, unite it with Christ on the cross and ask the Lord to help you learn the lesson he's trying to teach you. We have to learn. And the biggest lesson is to let go of ourselves and our own sins. And suffering can help us do that. So, yes, we can definitely know that the Gospels are historic. The church tells us so. And besides, we have you know, evidence from writings outside of the Bible that tell us that the Gospels are historic, and evidence from people who weren't even Catholic, Josephus and the Roman authors of the time who witnessed to the early church and what was going on. This is historic. This really happened, that Jesus lived and was crucified under Pontius Pilate. You don't have to read the Gospels to know that. Go read Josephus and go read the Roman authors of the time. It's there. This is history. It's all rooted in history. And so the Jesus depicted in the Gospels is the Jesus of history. He is the Christ of faith. You know, it's not, there, there aren't three Jesuses. There's not some mysterious, Jesus is one. Does Pope Benedict deal with that with Jesus of Nazareth? I think he does. Yeah. You, you, you need that, to, he's got three volumes Wouldn't you there. recommend those? I, I would. And, and it's not, remember, this is his theological explanation. He's not, it's his theological reflection on the life of Christ. Mm. Okay, so he's not teaching you as the Pope. He's, he's saying, you know, you can disagree with my particular take on the Gospels in terms of you may think that this doesn't mean exactly that or something. There, you know, there's little room for interpretation here. Um, until the church solemnly defines something, there's still room for interpretation and growth and development. So it, it, it's beautiful. 
Jesus of Nazareth. It's a three-volume work by Pope Benedict, um, and he actually put his name as Joseph Ratzinger because he says, I'm writing this as a theologian. I'm not writing this as the supreme pontiff of the church, which was beautiful. So it, 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 but it gives us a deep insight into the history, into who Jesus was and who he is. It's not a matter of was, you know, he still is. <laughs> Mary, we're going to take a quick break, but I want to remind everybody the women's conference is coming up with just over a month and five weeks from now. Yeah. And we're filling up fast. And uh, can you uh, encourage our listeners on, you know, you're going to be talking uh, at this conference regarding St. John Paul II's writings. Can you share a little bit about that? Um, St. John Paul II wrote a, a, a document called uh, Mulieris Dignitatis, the, the, or Dignitatem. I do that all the time. I'm sorry, my Latin endings, pardon me. Um, the, the, the vocation and dignity of women. Mm-hmm. And he talks about, first of all, he talks about Our Lady, yeah. Our Blessed Mother, as the model for all women. Amen. And not only for all women, but for all Christians. Her response to God, her total openness to God, and how this... She, she brings the feminine genius forward, and what is the feminine genius, and and what is it that women contribute to the church and to the world? That if we lose femininity, what are we going to lose? And and in in our world, we're losing it. We're losing the reality. Women are losing the reality of their identity of who they are as women, made in God's image, but feminine. You know, it's not that God is male and female. It's that man and woman were both made in God's image. So both men and women reflect something of the image of God. And, and neither of them alone reflects everything about God. Men and women are complementary. And, and he talks about the, the effects of original sin and what the fall did. And so we want to talk about those things and, and realize yeah. what our dignity is as human persons created in God's image. But as women, how do we restore femininity to its dignity and recover the lost femininity through looking at our Blessed Mother. Well said, Mary. And if you can join us, go to virginmostpowerfulradio.org. If you want to register right on on the phone, you don't have to type in anything. Just call 877-526-215. And we have a special guest, Father Charles Murr, coming in from San Francisco to join us. We have Barbara Nicolosi, who will be on later today. And uh, I would really encourage especially you husbands. Hey, get your wife to go to a Mary, to a woman's conference. It'll help her immensely. VirginMostPowerfulRadio.org or call 877-526-2151. You're listening to The Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. We'll be back with our final segment. This is Terry Barber reminding you there's a women's conference coming up September 7th, 2019 at the Sacred Heart Chapel. Mary Danielle Barber will be speaking along with Barbara Nicolosi. They're going to be talking about true femininity. Be who you are. This is going to be for your daughters, your mothers. Every woman should be at this conference. And the way to do it is go to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call 877-526-2151.
buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites The Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow, that's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US-1. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Well, Terry stepped out here, and uh, this is Mary Danielle, and welcome back. We're going to finish up here. We're going to get into Chapter 13 of the Acts of the Apostles. But just a note on that, um, what we spoke about earlier, that it's so important to realize that, yes, the Gospels are historically reliable, and so is the entire Scripture. It is historical, re- historically reliable. So this is real history. It's not made up. That God can intervene in human history is, is true. It's true. It's not false. It's not, it's not a fairy tale. All right. God is God, and we are not. And um, he wants us to know him. He made us for himself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in him, as St. As, uh, Augustine said. So we have here in chapter 13 the mission of Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas are in Antioch there, and there were certain prophets and teachers there, and Barnabas and Saul were among them. Saul, whose Roman name was Paul, he was a Roman citizen. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit told them to set aside Barnabas and Saul for the mission for which he had called them. So they lay hands on them, and they send them off. Now this is the first missionary journey, and this goes from... um, chapter 13, all the way through chapter 14, verse 28. And you get here this missionary journey. Now, as you read through this, you're not going to get all of the details. This missionary journey didn't just happen um, overnight. It began in the year 45 AD, and it lasted four years. So this little short, you know, two chapters here in this, in this uh, Acts of the Apostles, cover a period of four years, four years of traveling by, by sea or by land, walking, going from village to village, preaching the gospel, staying there, catechizing people, baptizing people. And remember in the other church, many times well, the people were baptized and then they were catechized afterwards. So when the apostles came and they established a, a church in a city, they would baptize people and then they would stay and catechize, but they would train catechists and they would get people who knew well what they were teaching and understood it. And then they would appoint them. Paul also appointed presbyters, which are priests in every town. Paul was a bishop. He was a bishop of the Catholic Church. And so it's in his authority to establish presbyters. So they go and um, they go down. They start at Cyprus. They set sail from Cyprus and they go to Salamis and they proclaim the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. And John was with them. That's John Mark. Okay. Now this is the beginning of the first missionary journey. And um, they go through the whole island and and as they get to there's a place called um, Paphos, where was actually where the um, the Roman um, prefect kept his, that's where he stayed. And the Roman prefect, there was a false Jewish um, prophet. He was a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. And he had a lot of influence over Sergius, who was the proconsul there. And, but Sergius was an intelligent man. And um, as a matter of fact, it says here in the, um, in the commentary that he was, uh, he was the brother of the philosopher Seneca. So Seneca was a very famous, he's a very famous Roman philosopher, and Sergius was his brother. So a very, very intellectual man. He's a man who, you know, respects intellectual prowess. <clears throat> but um, he summons Paul, Paul and Barnabas, but this false prophet is very jealous, and he doesn't want the, um, them to listen. He doesn't want Sergius to listen to these people and be converted to the faith. So he's trying to counteract them. And what happens is Saul, it's interesting because Saul works a miracle here. He calls him out and he says, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainly. 
Will you not stop making crooked the straight path of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately darkness fell on him. And he was unable to see the sun. And people had to lead him around. Now, was Paul just doing that out of um, resentment, bitterness, revenge, anger? No. Remember when Paul was coming to Damascus? What did the Lord do to him? He took his sight away. He took away the sight of his eyes so that the eyes of his soul and heart would be open to God. And so now Saul is being violently countered by this man who is a magician. So he's, he, he's, not being, he's not an honest, upright man, and he's not a godly man. And so Saul is inspired by the Holy Spirit to say, to say that this man's sight will be taken away. And it is taken away. And it's by way of correction. You know, the church exercises authority over people. And things like excommunication and interdict, those aren't supposed to be exercised by way of vengeance or revenge or to control people. They're an exercise in discipline in order to bring people back to the fullness of the faith, to, to get people to repent of their sins. And so this man is struck blind, so that through the blindness of his eyes, by having his eyes closed, his physical eyes closed, maybe the eyes of his heart and soul will be open and he will come to the light of Christ, just as Saul did on the road to Damascus. By Jesus taking away his eyesight, Saul was brought to his knees to humble himself before the Lord and to, to beg to know the truth of God, not as Saul of Tarsus understood it, but as Jesus wished to reveal it. And this is what we have to do. We have to humble ourselves before the Lord and ask him to reveal his truth to us and open us to be able to receive his truth. God is so good, and he so much wants us to know the truth. He wants us to know how much he loves us. And you know what? He loves every one of us. Don't cut people off. Don't judge people. Don't become a Pharisee who, I'm so good and I have all the truth and all these other people are going to hell and they're worthless and they're, you know, psh, you know, just look down my nose at them. They're no good. They're so below me. No, no. We're here to be the servants of everyone just as Jesus came to serve. So um, the pro-council believes. He, he sees this man struck blind, this man who was trying to deceive him. And, and he, he recognizes the truth. He recognizes the clarity and the, the intellectual truth with which Paul, Saul, Saul, Paul, and Barnabas are speaking. And, and he is brought to the Lord Jesus. So they continue their journey, and they set sail for Papos, and they come to Pergia and Pamphylia. And at that point, they're at the, the foot of the mountains of Tarsus, according to the commentary. And that's where John Mark leaves them, all right? That will become a bone of contention later on between Paul and Barnabas because John Mark is a, a, a nephew, I believe, a nephew of, of Barnabas, or he's related to Barnabas. So when they get to, um, there's, there's another Antioch. It's Antioch in Pisidia. This isn't the first Antioch. It's another Antioch. It's in Pisidia. And they go into the synagogue, and um, after the reading of the Law and the Prophets, the, the synagogue leader says to them, brethren, is there anything you want to say to us? And so Saul stands up in the midst and he talks to them and he witnesses to them. And, you know, men of Israel and you who fear God. And then he, he talks about how God chose his people, how they had gone down into Egypt, how he brings them up out of Egypt. He leads them in the wilderness for 40 years. He destroyed seven nations in Cana to give them the land of Cana. He appointed the judges over them. Then he gave them Saul to be a king. And then he gave them um, David to be a king. And what was it God said of David? You know, David was a sinner. He, did, he messed up. He made mistakes. But what had God said about David? I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do my will. Now, it wasn't God's will that David sinned, but God leaves us free. But David always repented of his sin. 
and he didn't blame others for his sin. He acknowledged that he himself had sinned. It was his own fault. And then he repented. He was a great sinner, but boy, when he repented, he repented. And so we need to be like that. We need to acknowledge, first of all, we need to stop. Jordan Peterson said, you know, you want to know what's wrong with the world? And G.K. Chesterton wrote this book, too. It's called What's Wrong with the World? And so many of us want to say, well, that's wrong with the world, and that's wrong with that person or that incident or that event. And and, and G.K. Chesterton would tell us, and, and Saul would tell us, and Jesus Christ would tell us, no, what's wrong with the world? Myself. I'm a sinner, and I haven't fully given myself to God. That's what's wrong with the world. If I fully give myself to God as I should, then God can work in and through me to make a change in the world. But too oftentimes, I'm looking out there, just like Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Adam sinned, and God said, why did you do this? And Oh, the woman you put here with me, the woman you put here with me, you know, you got, it's your fault because you gave me this woman and it was so flawed. And then, so God looks at the woman, well, why did you do it? Well, the serpent tricked me, you know, but neither of them said to God, I sinned. I didn't listen. I let the, I let the serpent trick me into letting my trust in you die in my heart. Neither of them acknowledged their sin and repented of it. And yet God doesn't wait for them to do that, to promise the Messiah. He promises the Messiah. And so we need to humble ourselves before God and acknowledge, you know what? We're all sinners. We're all in this together. We're all in this together. You know, we're all in this together. And we need to repent of our sins and and turn to the Lord and let the Lord work in and through us to accomplish his purpose. But the first step to doing that is to acknowledge that I'm a sinner and I need God's help to change. I cannot change on my own. And Paul goes on and he, you know, from David's poster- posterity, from David's lineage, which was also the lineage of Judah, he brings forth a savior, Jesus. And um, before Jesus is coming, there was John the Baptist who preached and Saul's, he's giving this whole history. But as John was finishing his course, he said, what you suppose me to be, I am not. He never claimed to be the Messiah. He said, there's another coming after me that who's uh, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. I'm not worthy even to be a slave or a servant. And so Saul is telling, showing the Jews, yes, Jesus Christ really is the fulfillment of all the prophecies. He is the one that God prophesied and God prepared for. And he sent him to bring salvation and freedom to the children of Abraham. And so we didn't get too far into chapter 13 today, but I think it was real important that we understand that just like the Gospels, this is historically reliable. This is history, you know, and, and we don't, you don't get every detail, but you get the general outline and then you... You can fill in the details. So thank you for listening to Bible with the Barbers. Thank you for joining us. Sign up for the Women's Conference either online or at um, call at 877-526-2151. And we ask you to keep us in prayer. And we want all of those out there who are listening on the app to know that we do try and answer all your questions and we do remember your prayer requests. So you're in our prayers and we're trying to answer all your questions uh, as quickly as possible. So thank you and, and keep praying for us. And uh, join us next week. St. Faustina's Prayer for Priests O my Jesus, I beg thee on behalf of the whole Church, grant it love and the light of thy Spirit, and give power to the words of priests, so that hardened hearts might be brought to repentance and return to thee, O Lord. Lord, give us holy priests. Thou thyself maintain them in holiness. O Divine and Great High Priest, may the power of Thy mercy accompany them everywhere and protect them from the devil's traps and snares, which are continually being set for the souls of priests. May the power of Thy mercy, O Lord, shatter and bring to naught all that might tarnish the sanctity of priests. For Thou canst do all things. Amen. Virgin Most Powerful, pray for us. Virgin Most Powerful Radio, sharing the gospel with clarity and charity.